I want you to turn there. April and Erica, what a joy to have you. April's headed to Las Vegas tomorrow. Dear friends of, of Hank and Rhonda. Guys, stand up. Stand up. And uh, identical twins. They're about two minutes apart. And, and that's something. How, how cool. How cool is God? And adopted by a wonderful woman of God that raised them, raised them right. And uh, we're glad that they're here with us this morning. Thank you, Matt. You are a blessing. I enjoyed I enjoyed I always like music behind me when I'm emotional in that fun. I did want the city to know that you are safe. The city is safe and that I will have jerky next Wednesday night to prove your safety. Pastor David, someone told me a few, was it about a few years ago, they said, your jerky is better than your preaching. And I ate some and I agree, it is. It really is. I was told a few weeks ago in the summer that my strawberry ice cream was better than my jerky. And you're right. Yeah, better than my preaching. You're right. It is. I make a killer bowl of strawberry ice cream. But today, I wanted to spend some time with you in the Word of God and, and, and look at some things that I believe that God has shared with me. God has, an, has encouraged me. We went to, as you know, we were guests of Daystar last week. And I uh, shared with the, with the house last week, if you were the governor of Texas, you could not have been treated any better than Hank and Rhonda. First class flight, uh, the Omni uh, Hotel, one of the nicest hotels in the world. And every night, the very front row, right in the center of the, of the sanctuary, to our left was T.D. Jakes, to our right was John Hagee, uh, right next to me was Jensen Franklin, and uh, Marcus and Joni were right there, all four of us. And it was just a, it was a season that we needed. It was a word that we needed. And I'll tell you what, T.D. Jakes hit out of the park. John Hagee, incredible, phenomenal, sensational preacher. Jensen Franklin, incredible word. John Paul Jackson and John Gray, a comedian that we're going to have come to our house. Probably, probably one of the funniest people I've ever met. Probably, literally, probably George Carlin, anybody in that. Probably good, clean humor. Probably a part of Jensen's church, and we want him to come and bless us. You know, if you can get people to laugh, you can help them. Two out of every three people in the world are ugly. Two out of every three. Look to your left, look to your right, and you can determine where you stand in that survey. Taylor, if you will look at, at um, your bride and say, stuck in the middle with you stuck in the look at somebody says, stuck in the middle we are in this together baby we're in this together baby a lot of things have been shared uh about the election uh, i see some i see some good things that have been determined in the election our nation is literally split half and half and the word prophesies that there will be come a time when husband against wife brother against brother dad against son and this is a season to see a harvest as we have never, ever seen it before. I share with this house Wednesday night, my goal uh, in, the, in, the, in the next several days, if I can, is to re reiterate the value of life. That life begins at conception, that it's precious, it's wonderful, it's powerful. And I think that we need to re-educate the world how important that life is. The second thing I believe that we need to let the world know 
is that is a very hurtful, painful time in the lives of those that have experienced an abortion or a miscarriage. Sometimes it takes them years and years and years to be healed, to be restored, and to be recovered. And so I think it's very important that we tell the youth of our nation the, the tragedy of abortion and that God values life even before it was in the womb. There are four dimensions that we operate in. God told Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, so that meant he was somewhere before he was in his mother's womb. Does that make sense? Before you your mother's and I believe he was in the presence of God. I knew your name, I knew your gender, and I knew your purpose. God does not make mistakes. God does not put a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body. That's not God. That's our environment. That's nature versus nurture. That's the, that's the political mindset of this nation that you can do whatever you want. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you to soccer to. Our music has impacted us from the late 60s until now to such a degree that our music motivates us and sometimes manipulates us in doing things that we would never, ever do. And we understand one of the reasons why music is so powerful that according to Ezekiel and Isaiah, that Lucifer was the praise and worship leader of heaven. Very good possibility that Gabriel led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to Holy Spirit. Very possible that Michael led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to the Father. And that Lucifer, the light bearer, led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to Jesus, the preexistent word. And when he saw the power of praise and the power of worship, five times he said, I will. All of a sudden, pride was created, pride was birthed, and the pride of Satan, we know that Satan was cast from heaven and that one-third of the angelic realm left with him. That tells me that the very next day that God was worshipped, guess what happened? There were two-thirds there that wanted to be there. See, there's a difference between being told what you have to do and deciding what you want to do. There's a power of choice. And I believe that next service, I believe the angels sang louder than they ever sang. I think they were more powerful than they ever were because they wanted to be there. And let me tell you, for every enemy you have against you, you have two for you. And if God before you and Holy Spirit before you and the Word before you, who could possibly be against you? Amen. We find a major battle taking place. Job had no Bible. He had no Kenneth Copeland tapes. He had no Norval Hayes books. He, had, he didn't have Christian television. He didn't have John 3.16. But the Bible says that Job was a man that feared the Lord. He was a very wealthy man. He was a very blessed man. He had ten kids. His kids were not quite as spiritual as he was. And every that time they had a birthday, which would have been 10 times a year, they threw a big party. They probably drank a little wine. They probably got a little wild. They probably got a little crazy. So every time they threw a party, Job offered sacrifice to God just in case his kids had messed up. And we know the story that Satan appears and begins to tell God that he can't touch Job because there's a hedge around him. And he said, I can't, I can't touch him. No wonder he served you. You've got a hedge built around him. Well, Lucifer was in heaven. He couldn't serve God. You know, just a, just a thought. That didn't cost anything. I thought I would throw that out there. So then we find that the attack comes against Job. And you know, I've shared with you the attack was fivefold. You know, he lost all of his investment ability. He lost all of his savings. He lost all of his income. He lost all of his kids. He lost all of his servants but three. And he has some friends show up. And for seven days, they just sit there and look at him. What kind of friends are those? 
I don't need friends from a distance look at me and try to figure out what I did wrong or what I confessed wrong or what. Hello, am I helping anybody in the building? And we know, we know the storm that Job went through. Job made this statement, naked I came into this world and naked I shall depart. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what was so ironic that the second time that, that Satan goes to God, he told God, uh, flesh, flesh upon flesh, bone upon bone, let me affect his body. Let me, let me strike him down with sickness so we know where sickness comes from. Let me strike him down with sickness, and he will curse you in the day that he was born. Watch this. Satan does not want your wealth. He doesn't want your talent. He doesn't want your ability. Satan wants your words. Your words. He will curse you. He will curse you. Job's wife. And everybody has an attitude towards Joe's wife. But let's trade places with her just for a minute. You just buried 10 kids. You just lost everything that you own. And your husband has a disease called elephantitis. And he's so miserable, he's taking broken pieces of pottery and scraping the sore. You put yourself in her place. And you may have felt like that God was mad at Job also. But notice what Job did not do. He did not curse God. He did not tell God what he thought about him. He did not, he did not resort to that, but his mouth began to speak blessing. And the Bible says in Job 29 that when Job began to pray for his friends, the power of the tongue, God turned around his tragedy, gave him double for his trouble, gave him ten children, named three of the girls. If you've been with me, I shared that word with you before. But God turns it around. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed out begging for bread. But that was a supernatural encounter. That was a supernatural uh, 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 opportunity. And today the thought I had would be transitioning into the supernatural. Transitioning into the supernatural. And when I think about this, this book, this is probably one of the most supernatural stories ever, ever introduced, ever presented. It's better than Star Trek. It's better than Lord of the Rings. It's better than Heroes. It's better than Smallville. I mean, everything you like or don't like is in this book. There is murder in this book. There, is, there, is, there are wars in this book. There is levitation in this book. There are, this is a book of miracles. The fact that God formed man out of the dust of the earth was, was supernatural. The fact that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground after he was murdered was supernatural. The fact that somehow Noah manipulated two. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Noah, why in the world did he let two mosquitoes get on the ark? Why, what was he thinking when he, or two, or the snakes, what was he thinking when he let, anyway, there's some conversations that we'll have for later. But supernaturally, God called all the animals by pairs, and they entered into an ark. That's supernatural. When you think about, when you think about Noah and, and, the, and the flood and everything that happened, when you think about Jonah surviving three days in the belly of a well, when you think about Gideon, 300 men, destroys an army of 300,000. I mean, you could go on and you could go on. When you think about Paul and Silas being delivered from prison, when you think about the three Hebrew children, think about David going against a 13 foot giant and putting him down this is a supernatural book and i believe it's god's will for us to operate in the supernatural i believe there is a i believe there's a there's another dimension the first dimension before we were we were with god the second dimension we're born the third dimension we're born again 
And the fourth dimension is that we begin to operate in the things that God declares that we can operate in. Ephesians 3 and 20 says this, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask, what's the next word? Or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now, if you've been around me any time at all, you will know that I believe that the power of praise is the ability that God has given us, that it works in us, that it has the ability to set the captive free, to bring miracles and healing, and to bring the manifestation power of God. I think that's the power that Ephesians is talking about. The power that worketh in you is the power with your words to create. Moses was so adamant about making this statement, death and life. He didn't say life and death. He said death and life. We have a tendency to choose the negative before we choose the positive. We see the tank half empty instead of half full. Is anybody in the house with me? We are a generation that is focused on the negative. If you watch headline news at all, they will tell you all the negative things going on in the world. All the earthquakes, all the tornadoes, all the tragedies, all the murder, all the, all the assassinations. It's like we, we are focused on the thought that the newspaper operates in. If it bleeds, it leads. So we are a generation that we have the ability to speak things into existence. I mean, I went last night and created a taco just the way I wanted it. Some of us have more faith in Burger King than we do in the power of God. At Burger King, you can have it your way. But in the, in the house of God, in the things of God, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But we can have the mind of God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here's the battle. The battle in our life today is over our words and over our thought process. The word tells us to cast down vain imaginations. That means that vain imaginations are going to come against you. And to bring in captivity the way a police officer would handcuff a criminal. That's that same verb there. Arrest every, every vain imagination. Bring into captivity every thought that would in any way, shape, or form turn you against the power and the authority of Almighty God. If you've been with me very long, you will know that, that I believe that the Bible is full of losers. That God took losers. God took an alcoholic. God took, you could go through the Bible, and it seemed like every one of God's champions were losers. The, the Gideon did not want to go to battle. Noah didn't want to build the ark. I mean, over and over, Jonah disobeyed God. Peter, all the, all, all the Bible greats, they, 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 they made mistakes. They had failures, but God forgave them. God restored them, and God blessed them because he is the God of restoration and blessing. Let me tell you something. The devil is scared to death of you. He doesn't know what anointing's on your life. He doesn't know what God is going to do with you in the kingdom. So if he can take you out now and he can get you to focus on all the, the daily demons that we fight, how's that? The daily oppositions. Pastor David so well reiterated two weeks ago where we're at. Bad things happen to good people. The Bible says that when integrity rules, a nation is blessed. But when, but when evil begins to, to, to rule, that people are affected. And we are affected right now by the environment of a government that has shunned God and has robbed God. If the first tenth of your check does not go to God, it goes to the federal government. Think about that for a minute. When you get your check, you don't get the gross. You get what the government 
want you to have. Am I helping anybody in the building? They tax our gas. They, the, for you, those of you that smoke, the government appreciates it. They tax your cigarettes. They tax everything. That, am I helping anybody in the building? God never meant for us to operate in this venue. God never meant for us to operate in this, in this area. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Uh, Mark has shared a story. I passed around if you'll help me with the, with the hymn. But there was a precious woman of God. Her and her husband were at a park picnicking. picnicking, picnicking say that fast three times. Picnicking. <laughs> they were picnicking. And all of a sudden, a small child in the lake began to drown. The husband, with no fear of his own life, swam out to rescue the child. Unfortunately, both of them drowned. I mean, can you imagine a mom with kids, no dad, no income, no money, no source, no insurance, absolutely no help whatsoever. And that precious woman of God, I think it was peace, peace. Oh, tis so sweet. Thank you, Pastor Rhonda. Hey, Pastor Rhonda, pretty day with her red. I'm going to match her for the funeral. I'm going to get my red. I'm going to get my red. I don't have red boots, but I got other red things that I, I think that I wear. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Help me. Just to add his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know that that's it. What? I mean, she loses her son, she loses her husband, she loses her income, she loses everything, and then she turns around and says, "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." There was a horrible fire in Chicago, and there was a uh, a, a man of God that was in England, and when he heard about how bad the the fire was, and this is before jets, this is before uh, helicopters, that mode of transportation. The only way to transport was by an ocean liner. And his wife and four kids left Chicago, and they got on a boat to go to where he was in London. As they headed towards London, there was a horrible storm. It was a devastating storm in the ocean. And a few hours later, he got a telegraph. I know none of you remember what that, what that was or what that is. But got a telegraph from his wife that had two words. Saved alone. He immediately got on a boat headed towards his wife in, 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 in Chicago. The boat had to turn around, and it took him quite a while to get there, probably a couple of weeks to get there. And he told the captain of the ship, he said, when we approach the area where my, my four sons lost their life, would you wake me up? Would you let me know? So he's headed to meet his wife. I think, about, I think the story goes 3 o'clock in the morning. There's a knock on his door. The captain is there. He says, hey, we're, re we're approaching the place where the storm took place, where the lives were lost. And this precious, precious man of God just lost all four of his children. I don't know if you can even imagine that or, or even go there with me about, about the loss of a, of a baby or a son or a daughter. But when he, when he got to the rail and he looked there in the, in the ocean, and that was a place where his family uh, lost his life, I believe it was just a piece of paper he had, Pastor A.C., and on the rail of that ship, he began to write the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
It could be a lot worse, saints. We could be in a lot worse place than we are. I've told you a thousand times this pulpit. I once complained that I had no shoes until I met a man that had no feet. God wants to use us to encourage. Pastor Ron is so effectively a few weeks ago talked about the spirit of encouragement, about the ability to encourage and bless those that think that they're losers, they think that they lost, they think they can't accomplish anything. Thomas Edison was probably told he was a loser 999 times, but on the thousandth try, that light bulb worked, and aren't you glad that he did not quit? He didn't listen to negative input, but he had a purpose, he had a plan, and he pursued it. A purpose, and a plan, and a pursuit. In Joshua 1 and 8, as we look at unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we help me ask, that's the verbal or think. That's the mindset. The Bible says that we can have the mind of Christ. When Joshua getting ready to take the, 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 the people of Israel into the land of promise, out of, out of Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, getting ready to take probably three or four million Hebrews into the land of promise, in, in a moment, I'm sure, of fear, worry, trepidation, the angel of the Lord, we believe it was probably the pre-existent word. It was probably the, the, the deity that Lucifer led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to. But he appeared before Joshua, and this is what he said. You've got to understand that everything that Moses wrote uh -huh. is powerful. Everything that Moses wrote. We know that he wrote the book of Job. That's the very first book that God ever gave uh, his people, the book of Job. Then we know that he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then we know he wrote at least five Psalms. He wrote Psalms 90. So everything that God gave Moses, Moses gave to Joshua. There was a transference there of anointing, a transference of blessing, a transference of purpose. God told Moses to take the people out of the promised land because of anger. And that's why the word says, be angry and said not. Out of anger, Moses struck the rock instead of spoke to it. And that rock was a type of Christ. Striking the rock was a type of Calvary. And because Moses disobeyed the Lord because he got angry, even though God had done miracle after miracle after miracle. And we'll talk about tasting the things of God and then, and, then, and then going back to the things of the world. Moses got angry. And because he got angry, God told Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land now. Somebody say now. He didn't go in. He died on this side of the Jordan River, was buried, couldn't find his body. But 2,000 years later, someone say 2,000 years later, God keeps every promise that he makes. I said God keeps every promise he makes. The word says write the vision down. Put it somewhere. Post it everywhere. Put it on the speedometer of your car. Put it on the door of your icebox refrigerator. Put it, on the, put it on, on the mirror. The promises of God are yea and amen through Christ Jesus. 2,000 years later, Jesus climbs a mountain. And guess who shows up on the mountain? Elijah and Moses. And let me ask you a question. Would you rather go into the promised land with four million whining, complaining, mental Jews? Or would you rather go into the promised land with Jesus and Elijah? Hello. God always knows what is best for his kids. Elijah representing one who has not died. Moses representing one that tasted the grave but is now resurrected. When, when, when Moses turned everything over to Joshua... Joshua had the, the, the purpose of leading God's army into the promised land. 
And you got to realize these guys had not fought. They were not familiar with the weapons of war. They didn't know how to wield a sword. They didn't know how to wield a spear. They didn't know how to use their armory. They'd been slaves for 400 years. They did not know how to fight. So God took them in the wilderness to teach him his ways and to teach him his plan. I was sharing with Pastor AC, and I need to hurry. I only, only have an hour left. Just kidding. In, when, when God would move the people of Israel from the wilderness, wilderness closer to the things of God, we know that the glory cloud would rest. And where the glory cloud would rest, there they would install the tabernacle. And every morning, the dad would walk outside his, his tent, and he would see. And if the glory cloud was there, still on the, t- the tabernacle, he would go back in, and he, he was an alarm clock. And this is what he would say. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And every child, every mom, everybody in the household, in the tent, woke up to those words. I don't know how many of you wake up to a doot, 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 or some kind of, I don't, know what, I don't know what wakes you up in the morning. But it's important that you realize what wakes you up in the morning is important. I mean, you've got a beautiful wife saying, good morning, honey. Do you want two scoops of cream or three? I mean, that, words like that, that's the best way to, to get woken up to. Does anybody hear what Pastor Hank is saying? So all of a sudden, God decides he's going to move them towards their destiny. So the dad gets up, looks towards the tabernacle. Everybody had their tent doors pitched towards the tabernacle. Looks out. Oh, wow, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no, te- there's no glory cloud. And that means the glory cloud has left there and it's headed somewhere. Look at somebody and say, I'm headed somewhere. With God. And all of a sudden, Dad will go back. He will shout into the tent, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And then everybody got their suitcases packed up. They knew that God was headed somewhere and they were going to follow the glory cloud. And when the glory cloud stopped, the, the, the priests that God raised up through Aaron were so talented on the shofar. Matter of fact, I would like for us to reinstate the shofar blowing. I don't know what, if Matt still has it in his lungs to make it happen. But these guys were so talented. Um, if you've ever been around Phil Driscoll or Roy Roman, they have the ability to go into the third octave. On, on the piano, we operate in the first octave, C through C. They have the ability to hit notes that it does not seem humanly possible, but they've trained, they've prepared. They do special things with their lips. Phil said he kisses Lynn a lot. That's how he works in getting his lips in shape. And Lynn's his wife, and it's okay to kiss her. I'm sure that's fine. But these priests were so talented that three priests would get on three hills surrounding the glory cloud, and one priest would put that shofar to his mouth, and he would go, eee. And the second priest would hear the first priest, and he would get his shofar, and he would go, lo. And the third priest would hear the first two, and he would go, heem. And all of a sudden, the three priests, Elohim, Elohim. And all of a sudden, the name of God was declared and the people would begin to camp around the glory cloud because where there was the glory cloud, there was manna, there was food, there was water, there was shelter. A cloud followed them by day, fire by night, central heat and air. They were a blessed people even in the time of the wilderness. You know what's so cool? The Bible says that there's a day coming when a voice like a trumpet is going to sound and Jesus Christ is going to split the eastern sky and every one of his children know his voice. They're going to rise up to meet him in the air. You talk about a supernatural day when the graves begin to burst open and all of a sudden bodies come back together. The dead in Christ are rising. We which are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Is anybody excited about the fact that we're going zoom, zoom, zoom far above the moon past the Milky Way to a place called heaven? 
to hang out with a man called Jesus. Does that excite you? But we can't be so excited that our theme song that motivates us and manipulates us is Beulah Land. I had a friend. How many of you have never heard Beulah Land? You've never, you've never heard it. You've never heard it. Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. Beulah Land, one day I'll see. That's about all I know of it. But we had, at my dad's church in Southern California, we had a guy, and he's a great guy, great singer, but he would sing that song that the, the rust on the window, the mailbox needs painting, but lately, all I've got is leaving on my mind. And see, when you have that mindset that all you do is know that one day God's going to come and we're all going to go to heaven, you miss the purpose and plan that God has for your life. God wants you to do something for him. He wants to take that seed, that ability in you, and he wants you to operate in the supernatural. So here Joshua doesn't have a clue really what he's doing. A very submissive servant, never spoke evil against Moses, was there 40 years, had a good dad, a good family. But here's what the angel of the Lord said to Joshua. And Joshua, again, had all the writings of Moses. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, Say mouth. mouth. But thou shalt meditate, say mind, mind, therein day and night that thou mayest to do absor- according to all that is written therein. Yes. For then, somebody say, for then, yes. thou shalt make thy way prosperous and shall have good success. Is there bad success? Absolutely. I, I dine with millionaires that are un- unhappy. Right. I dine with wealthy people that the only solution to their problem is a glass of wine. I've got a lot of people in my life that are very, very successful, but they're miserable. God does not want you to be miserable in your success. God wants you to be blessed in your success because you realize he raises you up so you can be a blessing to others. Look at somebody and say, all that I have, all that I have belongs, to God. belongs to God. What a great thought. Then say this with me. All God has, all God has belongs, to belongs to me. There is a supernatural vein that God wants you to tap into and in our our generation has no problem entertaining or embracing the supernatural. I have notes. I have 10 pages of notes. I'm doing all this from memory right now. But help me if you will. Supernatural. No, no, don't say it. Just help me. Twilight. Dark shadows. Thor. Smallville. Heroes, Lord of the Rings, E.T., supernatural. There is a hunger in every single one of us to taste and to tap into the supernatural. The challenge is, I came not into the world to condemn the, the world, but that the world is condemned because it preferred darkness over light. There's a part of our generation that is interested in the supernatural of darkness. Let me tell you something. There there is power in tarot cards. There's power in Ouija boards. There is power in the zombies of Haiti. There's There's power in voodoo. There is an evil side of magic. There's an evil side 
of beautiful that the, the world would like for us to entertain and tap into. And some of us are hooked on those, on those weird, scary, supernatural, vampire, all those, all those, all those crazy levels. Our, our society is hooked on those things. God wants us hooked on the supernatural of the good that he provides and the blessing that he brings. And is that, is that established? And he wants to establish that through your words and through your thought process. Which is going to let me now completely shift gears and share with you what I felt like that God gave me. We're pretty good. We're like over like three pages out of the, into the notes. I'll share that with uh, Christine when she gets home. She needs that. I want to talk a moment or so about the supernatural opportunity that Jesus gave Peter. Everybody knows about Peter. Andrew went and got Peter. As they come see the man that we have been investigating. I believe in everyone's heart of heart, whether they, and, and Perk and I have a, have a friend that claims to be an atheist. He called me yesterday. We talked quite a while, and I said, you're not an atheist. You just want something to believe in. He'd been raised in church as usual. Church is normal. We come in Sunday morning. We shout. We sing. We dance. We we go home, we really don't see a whole lot of fruit, a whole lot of things happen. We come back Sunday night, and it's almost, it's, almost like, it's almost like a rut. Several years ago, Dunkin' Donuts had a commercial where every morning at daybreak, the guy would get up and go down to Dunkin' Donuts and make all that. Do you remember? And then one day, he opened the door, and there he was standing at the door. Some of us don't know whether we're coming or going. We're so overwhelmed in our marriage. We're so overwhelmed in our finances. We're so overwhelmed in our children. We're so overwhelmed about stuff that we have forgotten that it's not about us. It never has been. It never will be. It's all about touching into the things of God and helping others to the very best of our ability. Peter was a, Peter was a, the word Simon Simeon actually means hearer of the word or understander of the word. So when Peter was named, he had godly parents. They wanted him to do well. And most of you know the story. Peter was a, was a fisherman by trade. And, and probably, if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, Pastor Ron and I, who's been to the Sea of Galilee? Anybody? The, the tides of the sea are controlled by the moon. Just, just like the Atlantic and the Pacific, it is literally an ocean. It has tides. It has waves. I waded in the, I, I didn't get real deep in there. I got all the way in the Dead Sea, but the Sea of Galilee, the water was cold. So I just kind of walked there on the edge. But it is a, it, it's an ocean. It's a sea. It, it's got tides. It, the tides come in. The tides go out. And the reputation of the Sea of Galilee fishermen is that they were a rowdy bunch. I mean, if you're, if you're around salt water all, your hands get all crusted. The sun bakes. You, you cuss. You fight. You drink. You beat up one another. I mean, that's your life. That's the life of a fisherman. You've heard the expression, he cusses like a sailor. Sailors learned how to cuss from fishermen. That's where they, that's where they got all that. Sa- Peter, at one time, wanted Jesus, listen to this, wanted Jesus to completely trash the city. Do you feel the love? He told Jesus, just let fire, fire and brimstone come down and, and take them all out, every one of them. Peter was the kind of guy that, that he, was a, he was a guy of action. He did things and then thought later about some of the things that he did. 
But notice some of the things that he did. When Jesus asked the question, hey, what's, what's the room around town? What are people saying about me? And some said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Isaiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus looked at 12 guys and said, who do you think I am? And Peter said, Simon said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And immediately Jesus said, flesh and blood. You didn't learn this on the internet. You didn't Google this. This is a supernatural revelation that my father has supernaturally revealed to you who I am. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of living God. And notice what happened. All of a sudden, Peter got so excited about what Jesus said that his heart is filled with pride. Can I tell you about pride? Talent is God-given. Be grateful. Praise is man-given. Be gracious. Conceit and pride are self-given. Be careful. God does not hate the drug addict. God does not hate the gender challenge. God does not hate the, the alcoholic. God does not hate the murderer. God does not hate their forger. God does not hate the embezzler. God hates pride. And Jesus said, Peter, you're right. Flesh and blood has not revealed. My father's revealed this to you. All of a sudden, something happens with Peter. He gets all excited at the fact that God's talking to him, and he hears from God, and he's all that in a bag of chips. Then Jesus said, guys, we've got to go to Jerusalem. It's time now for me to be murdered. And Peter lays hands on Jesus. See this now. And grabs him and says, no, you're not. No, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. We're not. And the Bible says that Peter began to rebuke Jesus. You know what's so hilarious to me in my in my wild world of sports is I come in contact with people all the time who have never killed a deer, harvested. Let me be politically correct. They've never harvested a deer. They've never caught a bass over ten pounds, and they've never jumped out of a tree and stabbed a hog. But they know more than everybody else about hunting and fishing. I mean, they, they're smarter than the swamp people. They work for Duck Dynasty. They're all that. They're all, they're all that, that. That so cracks me up. And what happens is, is that Peter, from his entire life, had a problem with pride. He had a, he had a, prob, he had a problem. And he was a rough, tough fisherman. They apparently had a very good business. I mean, apparently their, their fishing ministry supported them and took care of them. But Peter gets all excited what, what God, well, God said to me, and I'm, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm whatever. And Jesus looks at Peter and seeing in the fourth dimension, Satan. See, pride will open a window for the devil to speak into your life. Well, I'm too good to work this job. Well, I'm too good to go to that church. Well, I'm too good to drive this car. This car? I won't say a whole lot, but I have a dear friend. They're lifelong friends, and we've sowed a lot. I pretty much have been the only dad in their life. And they live in South Georgia. And the young lady became of age that she was able to drive her car. And Grandma had a, I don't know, a Rambler, an Edsel, something, something old, funky. And Grandma gave the car to the granddaughter. Guess what? She refused to drive it. She was too good to drive an Edsel. What you need is an Edsel. Never mind. How, who, is anybody, anybody, Pastor David, are you there? 
that's an old, that shows you, that was was before bewitched. (laughs) Too good to drive a car given her that ran fine, worked fine, the interior was nice, but she had to have a Volvo, a Supra, a BMW. See, if if we're not careful, we'll allow what the enemy birthed in, in, in the process of heaven and cast out of heaven, we'll begin to walk in pride in such an attitude that we know more than Jesus. We know more than we know more about our life, our plans. Well, let me let me get on and, and paint this, this picture of Peter. Peter saw Jesus in the storm. Gutsy. Check this out. Gutsy. I've never been in a storm that waves were higher than 10 foot, but I have been in a storm where 10 foot waves at every wave would almost completely submerge the boat. We had to bail. We were in Alaska. It was dangerous. We could have died. We didn't. But it's one of those kind of storms. And all of a sudden, in the middle of these waves and thunder and lightning, Peter sees Jesus. They all see Jesus out on, on the, on, walking on the water. I mean, how cool is that? Walking on the water. And Peter is so gutsy. He says, Lord, if it's you, who else would it be? Hello. <laughs> this is for Smallville. It wasn't Clark Kent. It wasn't, hello. Hello. Well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Okay, think how gutsy that is. Right. That's right. And, and, and Peter didn't walk on the water. Pastor A.C. will tell you what Peter walked on. The word. the word. He walked on one word. Look at this. One word out of the mouth of the Lord. Jesus said, C-O-M-E. He didn't step out on water. He stepped out on the word come. Got out there and going, hey, check me out, man. Am I cool? And in his pride, got his eyes off of Jesus. And guess what happened? Started to sink. And guess, guess what he did? Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. See, sometimes in the storms that you encounter, God will allow you to start to sink so you will come to grasp with your sanity and be able to call upon the name of the Lord because whosoever that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A lot of us are trying to do it our way, or what's that girl on, on TV that knows all the money, all the money things, or, 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 or I, I for, um, help, what is it? Can I put a little blonde-haired girl? Um, in, anyway, we, we, put our, we put our trust in DVDs and books and TV programs when all we've got to do is find out God's plan because God's plan is better than our plan. I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans to bless you. But you know what? To his defense, he is the only human being outside of Christ ever to walk on water. Put that on your resume. Sid Roth, uh, David Letterman, they'll all use you immediately. Then they get ready to, to go. They're praying, and they come to arrest Jesus. And Peter took the sword out. Obviously, he was not a hunter. He was a fisherman. He whacks the guy, cuts his ear off, and... Jesus said, no, Peter, he needs that. That, that, that faith cometh by hearing. And remember I told you, and he stuck, the, he stuck the, the ear back on. But you know what? At least he drew a sword. At least he was gutsy enough, man. He was, he'd ready to take on the whole, the whole army. There was a legion there. He'd ready to take them all on. But, he, he was, but you know what? He was just a guy just like you and me that saw things differently. And so they're all sitting around, and I will hurry, I promise. They're all sitting around. It is the... Last Supper. And he starts telling them, if they hate me, they're going to hate you even more. If they accuse me of stuff, they'll accuse you on a level far beyond my accusation. They will do whatever they can to stop you, to hurt you. Why? 
Because when you're doing what God's called you to do, it brings attention that they're not doing what God called them to do. So to take the attention off of them, they put it on you. Does that make sense? And he said, that's all going to happen. And then he makes a statement. You guys have all been with me. But one of you is about to sell me out. Now, I don't... Let me come down here with you for a minute. We're all sitting around, and we're all eating. And Jesus says, guys, one of you is about to make a decision that's going to damn your soul eternally in hell. One of you. And they all, they all, if you've ever seen the Lord's Supper, the expressions of all, that's apparently what Leonardo da Vinci was trying to capture, that moment. John's leaning over, but one's leaning this way, two, two, three in a group, and they're all saying, who is it, who is it, who is it? Is it me, is it me, is it me? And Jesus said, it's the one, it's the one that I give this basket to. Or hat. Either one. That's the one that's going to make a decision that's going to damn his soul eternally. And he takes it and he gives it to Judas. Immediately, an argument breaks out over who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to do this? Who's going to... You know what? I would like to think, Chris, had I been there in that conversation and heard what Jesus said and watched him give the cup to Judas, I would have liked to have thought that I would have went over and said, Judas, what are you doing? What are you thinking? We've raised the dead. We've healed the sick. He's the Messiah. What? 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 No, I will not let you. And I would have physically, well, not him. He's bigger than me. But had he been smaller than me, I would have sat on him. Help me. Come on. I would have not allowed. See, but Peter, it was all about him. I... I I will never fail you. I will never, I will never, you, you, you can always trust me. I'll always be there. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. You know the story. They went to pray. They fell asleep. The guards came. They arrested Jesus. Peter standing by the fire. Someone says, hey. And he, you know, he, they reckon, fishermen wear certain kind of clothes, certain kind of hairdo, Nike tennis shoes. And so they knew it, it was Peter, and they knew he was with Jesus. You're one of those Jesus guys. And no, no, no. I'm, yes. I'm, and then someone else comes, hey, I, I recognize you. You talk like a, and he said, hell no. I am not one of those Jesus guys. And then the third time he uses the big word, and I won't use that because we're recording. I don't want to offend anybody because probably if you haven't been offended yet, you would get offended over that. But anyway, I mean, he says, that, he, says he goes back to his way, starts cussing and swearing and said, I am not one of those guys. And then right then, guess what happens? Three times. Okay, you go there with me. You've walked on water. You've raised the dead. You fed the multitude. The word says if everything Jesus had done in that three-year window were written down, I have over 2,000 books in my library. But the scripture says my library, if all it did was to list everything that Jesus did, my library would not contain all the miracles. He saw every single one of them. He was the top three. He was the armor bearer. Peter, James, and John. Those were his three that he mentored, that, that, that were most adaptable, that were most applicable, the ones that really wanted it but worse than anybody else. All of a sudden, he's abandoned Jesus. Couldn't he, could he pray an hour? Abandoned Jesus. Jesus has been striped, been beaten at the cross. Peter doesn't show up. 
They're depressed for three days. Probably got the wine out. Probably got some Xanax. Probably had some Demerol. And just, probably just medicated. Probably. I mean, you, can you imagine your world just coming crashing? Can you imagine, can you imagine go, that go back in that lifestyle? And then all of a sudden, little Mary, little prostitute that was restored, healed, comes from the guys and says, I've been to the tomb, and there was a guy there, an angel, that told me he's not dead, he's risen. So Peter and John and a couple of the guys, they run to the tomb. Peter gets there first. Right. Too embarrassed. Shame, condemnation, guilt, failure, fear. Degradation, low self-esteem. Can anybody relate? Yes. Stayed outside. He wasn't worthy enough to go in the tomb. You know, sort of John ran in. They come out. They tell everybody he, he's not there. He's, he's, he's gone. He showed up. He's appeared. Okay, so now shift gears with me. Peter the fisherman, John 21. And if Pastor Ron will, will allow me, I'll come and finish this in December. Thank you, Pastor Ronda. Well, you put Pastor David on the spot, so I thought I'd just put you on the spot. Last chapter in John. I will, I, I promise you, I will, I will hurry because I didn't eat breakfast, and I'm hungry. And I'm going to a black funeral, and there will be food, a lot of food. Here we go. There are two types well, three types, actually. There are three ways to catch a fish. With a line, hook, and a sinker, or a lure, a line and a hook, a net, or one guy reconnected with his buddy, said, where are you going? So I'm going fishing, I want to go with you. So they got in the middle, of the middle of the lake, guy reached on the seat, gets a stick of dynamite, lights the dynamite, throws it in the lake, it explodes, they start floating up the top, they go to pick them up, and his friend says, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't do that. That's against the law. Friend lights another stick of dynamite, hands it to him and says, are you going to talk or fish? <laughs> Three ways to fish. The third way is not a good way. The second way, and I, 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 will, be, I will be way conservative. I could not Google this this morning and, and get the accurate, but Japan has a net. 30 miles long. And they're dragging the floors of our ocean right now. Within three miles of Huntington Beach, California, within three miles of Rhode Island. That's where international waters begin. We can't stop it. We can't, we can't. They're, they're, they're getting porpoises. They're getting seals. They are, they're all dying. Those are all dying, the porpoises and seals, because of that gill net. 30 miles long. Christian went home to Utah to be with his dad. We pray for him and his safety and that he would remain clean. Christian worked for a boat in Alaska. That their, their line, every, every, what was it, Robert? Every 18 inches was a hook. They put out six miles of line, right? Nine miles. Can you imagine? Nine miles of, of line. Peter was a fisherman. He knew how to catch fish. Jesus dead, murdered, he abandoned him. Someone said that he's over here. Someone said he's over there. Peter decides, John 21. Probably important that we look at it. Verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, would be James and John, 
and two others of his disciples were together. Peter said, I'm going fishing. There is a tendency in all of us when we're discouraged or disappointed or depressed or ashamed, like the dog returning to its vomit, we go back to our old ways. God didn't answer the way I thought he should answer it. I'm going to take some Xanax. This ain't working out the way that I wanted to work out. I'm going to keep shoplifting. My marriage is never going to work. I'm going back to my boyfriend. That's our nature. Our nature, when we feel like we have been disappointed by God and, and not realizing, realizing the balance of life, that good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, it's life. It's life. If man begins to die the moment he's born. Job said, man that is born is a few hours and full of trouble. We're in a society that, that you've got to struggle for everything you've got. You've got to beat out of the mother's womb to even, even, even get, be birthed. It's a battle. Everything about life is a battle. When you go from puberty, every, everything about life, it's, 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 it's scary. It's tough. It's frustrating. And no one has the answers. We don't know why God takes people. We don't know why people die prematurely. We don't know why a son would die before his mom. We don't, we don't understand that. I understand why I would preach a funeral of an 18-year-old girl overdosed on Xanax and three months later preach her mom's funeral within just a few feet of where she died. I, I mean, we don't know why those things happen. And we can't attempt to explain those things. But don't let the tendency in you to run back to where you found safety in the world. I have friends in my life that shoot water just because they're addicted to a needle. They can't get any heroin, so they shoot water because they're, they're needle addicted. I have friends that are dope sick, and they'll drink three or four bottles of, of NyQuil just, 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 just to get that buzz, just to get that in their life. And that's not what God has for you. The steps of a righteous man are ordered, orchestrated, and ordained by the Lord. God has always got the last word. He's always got the last report. And he always has a way of turning it around. But Peter said, I'm going back. Let me tell you something. Once you've tasted, once you've led people, Lord, once you've flowed. Did you notice today when the music broke? How many felt in their spirit when we ended with I, I exalt thee and, we, and, and Michael Paul was doing the Led Zeppelin thing and, and uh, Chris was over there doing the John Bonham thing and... and uh, Matt was Stevie Wonder. I don't know who Matt was today. But did you notice something? Did you feel it? Did you feel it? Something broke. That's God stepping in and said, I'm going to honor the last 45 minutes of struggle. Today was a struggle. It was a struggle day. It's easy to preach when there's 3,000 people. It's not so easy to preach when there's 70. And you know, half the body says, that's not so easy. But there was a breakthrough. He's the God of the breakthrough. And there was a breakthrough. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. And watch this. Watch this leadership ability, your leadership ability. Seven people said, I'm going with you. Right. I don't even know how to go there. And if you give me three minutes, I'll tell you a real funny story. Several years ago, I took Perry Stone trout fishing. Now, trout fishing is not like bass fishing. Bass fishing, you can wear whatever you want. You can make whatever noise you want to make. You're going to throw it way out there. You're going to lure it. Something's going to whack it. But trout fishing is up close and personal. You have to wear camouflage so the trout don't, and, and if the fish sees you, they won't bite. You got to sneak up to the little stream. You got to use the smallest hook with the smallest bait and with, and with deafness. Is, de, is that a word? D E F T? Any deaf, deaf, deafness? Is that a good word? With, with skill, you flip that little whatever it is, a, a cricket or a, or a fly or a lure, 
and then you tweak it back, and then you flip it, and it's all in the wrist. I'm telling you, are you there with me? Do you see it? And you flip it out there, and you tweak it back, and you're quiet, and all of a sudden, the, the trout grabs it, and you don't scream, you don't holler, because you don't want to scare off his mama. And so you reel him in, and you put him over there in the basket, and then you flip it out there again. And when I showed Perry how to flip it, he took the rod and reel, reached back, snagged the limb, pulled the limb from the tree, and threw it in the middle of our trout, our trout hole. The fish disappeared. We didn't catch a fish all day long. True story. Last year, I have a lake. It's on a log cabin. My parents live there. And if you can't catch fish in that lake, there's sin in your life. I put hundreds of bass over eight pounds in that lake. So Pam and Perry and Amanda came out. Christine was there. Debbie was there. Debbie can confirm this. Now, Pam is a goat roper. She puts her own worm. First, she puts them in her mouth to get them warm because fish like it heated. Puts the worm on the hook, adjusts her bobber, flips it out there, watches the bobber, jerks it, reels it in, takes the, the bluegill off the, off the hook, throws it in the bucket, then goes home and fillet. Am I telling the truth, Jimmy? Fillet, she, I'm telling you, she's Alabama girl. By the way, did Alabama get beat? Yes. Oh, there, sorry about that. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that. It's Auburn, right? Oh, Texas, the Aggies, okay. So Perry and Pam are out there. So Perry catches this, Perry catches this like, 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 he catches this, this, this bat. Anyway, in other words, this bass slams his line and Perry just jerks the hook right out of his mouth. I go, whoa, 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 Perry, wait, wait. I said, Dad, catch me a little brim. So Dad caught a little brim and I had a worm hook with a worm, a worm weight and a worm hook, plastic worm. And so I just, I moved the, I moved the weight up tight and knot and it took the worm hook, which is a pretty big size gamagatsu hook. And I took that little brim that dad caught and I hooked it right through his eyes. That way he can't see, he can't get away. And so I flipped, I flipped the, 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 the bobber and the little brim in the water and handed the pole to Perry. I said, Perry, when you see the, the bobber bouncing, don't, don't jerk because that's the baby, the fish is alive, don't, don't bounce that. But when you see that go like that, I go, matter of fact, kind of like it's doing right now. Set the hook, set the hook. And so Perry sets the hook catches the bass true story debbie was there this bass was so big the slats the slats on the deck it wouldn't fit through the slats i thought i took everything out of my pocket my pockets except my brand new droid x phone jumped in caught the fish held it held it up we weighed it what was it, debbie 10 pounds Okay, so Debbie takes a picture. Pam takes a picture. Well, we release it so somebody else can catch it. So we put it back in the lake, and lo and behold, neither camera, right, took the picture. That didn't cost anything. <laughs> Peter knew what he was doing, but he took five people that did not. Just a thought. Maybe you have too many people on your boat. Maybe you're hanging out with people that cannot help you. They're hindering you. Maybe you're not being celebrated. You're being tolerated. Maybe you've got negative voices, negative choices speaking into your spirit, into your life, into your persona, into your suke. Way too many on board. I don't know if you've ever gone on a party boat where people have never fished before in their life, but the guy, the, the captain's hand, 
that puts the bait pool. All he does all is, is unsnaggle line and, and hooks and things are snagged and, and, they, and they throw the tackle. One time my dad, true story, my dad was throwing a lure and he hooked the tackle box. <laughs> I, I, if, if I lie right, and threw the entire tackle box out in the lake. Well, before I could jump in there, it was all, it was, it was all gone. It's like, through, the, through the whole tackle box. I, could tell, I got so many fish stories I could tell you, and most of them are true. Most of them are true. Five guys on boat that had no clue what they were doing. They fished all night and caught nothing. Can I say this? What used to get you high and what used to make you happy and what used to please you don't taste the same. It doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't give you that euphoria that you experienced. It's not as good as you thought, as it used to be. Lady wrote the editor of a newspaper and said, your paper is not as good as it used to be. He wrote back and said, it never has been. <laughs> you got it. I'm impressed. That was a good joke. That's, that's good. We go back. It's like, like a dog. I don't want to gross any of you out. But what's so funny, a dog will eat too quick or eat something hot and stomach it, and it throws back up. And it goes right back. I'm not trying to gross you out, but that's exactly what happens when you backslide. The thrill is gone. The euphoria is not there. It's not like it used to be. I tell it like it used to be. It's not like that anymore. All of a sudden, Peter finds himself with a bunch of losers, and they can't even catch a stinking fish. Hello. And to make matters worse, they fish all night. Listen, all night means all night. Eight, nine, if you're with me, if we don't catch fish in an hour, we're going to Taco Bell. I don't, I don't believe it. If you've been around me, you'll know. If we don't catch them, we're gone. We're going to do something else in our life. Comes back. They're getting ready to pull the nets in, clean the nets in. And some dude, some dude, so I'm not sure. Hey, got any meat? No, we've got nothing. Let me think. This dude, this stranger, and they don't, look, they don't even know who it is, but there is so much power in his vernacular, his, his, his encouraging spirit, his, 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 his suke, his, his, his adrenaline. Cast your net on the other side. Okay, let me tell you about that. If you've never fished the ocean, you know what that means. When the tide goes out, you throw your weight that direction because the tide pushes your bait away from the boat. But if you throw your, your, your lure on the other side of the boat, the tide washes your bait under the boat and you get hooked up with the guys on the other side. You don't throw your nets on the other side. Jesus was a carpenter. What would he know about fishing? He was out one day. They couldn't pay their taxes. He said, get that purple worm with the yellow tail and drop it about eight foot. And a fish got it and he reeled it in. He said, got the fish. They got the fish and there was a gold coin. It wasn't that God counterfeited money. Some wealthy people on a boat ride got drunk, fell down. The money fell out of their pocket, fell in the, in the lake. And the fish came and said, oh, a fish will bite anything shiny. I'm, I'm telling you. I was there, but I know it. I, I feel it. I'm feeling right now. So although he was a carpenter, he knew a little bit about fishing. He said, follow me, I make a fisherman. What about fishing? You're a carpenter. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer. He wasn't a, if I had a Rapala, I've, no, he was not a fisherman. He was a carpenter. So, 
these guys that are seasoned, these guys, it's kind of like, and I'll be kind here, have you ever spit in the wind? Yeah. Ever? Yeah. It, it, was not, it was not profitable, was it? No. So there, there are things that you do not do. You don't throw thousands of dollars worth of nets under the boat to get it all tangled up and get it destroyed. But they went against common sense and heard another sense. It was a fifth dimensional sense. And all of a sudden, these natural, normal fishermen obeyed one word, stepped into the supernatural. The net was so big, they could not drag the, the catch in. It gets better. The guys in the boat, I don't know if they had, but no, I don't know what they had, but the guys in the boat said, dude, it's Jesus. Peter, and I, yeah, I've heard so much stuff. If I take you fishing, you better not get naked on me. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he had some boxers on. Maybe he had some shorts on. I don't think he was naked. That could, that could be very dangerous fishing. Don't go there. Don't let your mind go there. But he put, he put, watch this. He put his coat on that identified him as a fisher person. He left the gift. He left the catch. He left the, mir the miracle. And he pursued... The giver. He pursued the miracle worker. He left the blessing. He left, My Lord, this was a chunk of change, guys. 157 or 100, 153. At that time, it, that means nothing. Now, there are 185 governments in the world today. But in the days of Christ, there were 153. 153 fish were caught. One fish representing each nation. He said, ask me, I'll give you nations as an inheritance. God's will in the last days of world revival. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But they, they, they couldn't get the fish. They had to get another boat. And they came up, they came up, and they got to shore. And when Peter got to shore, guess what? Jesus had fish and bread waiting for them when they got there. This is very important that you grasp this. You may feel like you're releasing something or losing something or letting go of something or giving something that cost you but when you get to where Jesus is everything you sowed everything you invested everything you feel like you lost will be there on the other side true story Lamar Boschman was in our church Pastor Rhonda did a conference with him several years ago at one time he was kind of like the um, who's hot now Eddie James uh, who else is hot right now anyway Darlene uh, she Several years ago, he was that, he was, and he was here with us, and he had a dream, a dream that he died and went to heaven. And Mike, there was a gate, the entrance to heaven, and he could see beyond the gate, and Matt, he could see all the splendor, he could see everything that was promised, he saw it, it was, it was incredible, it was phenomenal. But when he, tried to, 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 when he tried to go through the gate, his guitar wouldn't fit. And he, he's dreaming, and, he, and he, can't, he can't get to where God's at because his gift won't fit. So he makes a decision. He ponders and ponders. He leaves his guitar there, and he goes to the gate, and he sees Jesus. And guess what's waiting for him when he gets there? A better guitar. A heavenly guitar. A guitar that angels made. A guitar that's tuned to perfection of heaven. A guitar that sings the songs the angels sing in the presence of God. And you see, Peter was willing to give up the gift. He was willing to give up the blessing because i got to get to the healer. i got to get to the giver. I've got to get to the miracle worker. i got to get back to Jesus. Amen. Yes. Amen. He serves them. 
This is the third time he's appeared. There's a, there's a, there's a reason why three is important. Third time he appears, Peter denies him three times. So Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Watch this. Do you love me more than this? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, the babies. Do you love me more than he loves me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times, body, soul, and spirit, Jesus asked Peter three questions. Do you love me more than you're physically able to love anything else? Do you love me more than soulishly, the mental, all the abilities of the brain? Do you love me more than all of that? And spirits, you love me more than any other God, any entity in your life. And three times he said, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Taking care of sheep is probably one of the most... Well, let me, let me get, check my sources real quick. Mike, is taking care of sheep worse than taking care of rabbits? Rabbits only have like little droppings, right? Sheep has big droppings. Taking care of sheep is very degrading, very unrewarding, very frustrating. Hours and hours and hours of... I know David makes it, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes it so grandiose. But it's not. It's boring. Hours and hours and hours of watching people, sheep breed and do the other thing. That's all they do. But something happened to Peter that day. That pride was broken off of him. That that persona was healed and restored. I'll conclude this word because it's time to conclude. When Peter was arrested for preaching the gospel, he and his wife, they were going to crucify him as they crucified Jesus. And Peter said, I'm not worthy. See, there was a time when he would have taken a sword and defended Christ. There was a time when he would have, he would have confronted Christ. There was a time when he would have bailed on the ministry. But on that day, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ. Crucify me upside down. And he and his wife, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, were crucified. And I can't explain to you the, the you know, if you're crucified right, so at least you can put your weight on your legs and, and, and get some kind of solace. But upside down, they probably bled out within just, just, a, just a little while. But something happened to his pride. And he said, that's, he makes a statement, there is inheritance in heaven, undefiled reserved for you and all those that love his coming. Here's a guy that had problems with pride. Here's a guy that had problems with his ego. Here's a guy that majorly dropped the ball. He flipped God off. Hello? That's pretty bad. I don't, I don't know. I don't, he dropped the F-bomb on God and, and cussed like a, like, a, like a whatever. Completely failed. Completely embarrassed. Shame. Condemned. But Jesus, when he told the girls that he was resurrected, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. I think today as every head is bowed, as every head is closed, I believe the presence of the Lord is here. And I believe there are some in this house that may feel like that they have disappointed the Lord.
maybe pursuing the party, maybe pursuing the things of the world, maybe pursuing other goals, other commitments. But in their heart of hearts, they know that they are called of God. They know there's something better. They know that there's got to be a change. There's got to be like a hamster on a wheel putting forth action, motion, but just going around and round and round and round and round, not accomplishing anything, not really seeing any breakthroughs. Paul said, may all grace abound. Not a little grace, not partial grace, all grace. Pastor, I'm right on the verge of a breakthrough. I'm, there's a little grace, there's some grace, there's a piece of grace, but there's not all grace. I'm not operating in that Like Joshua, I know to seek first the kingdom of God. I know to pursue the word of God and meditate and speak it. But there are so many circumstances overwhelming me. Maybe my, maybe my friends aren't the right friends to have. Maybe what I'm listening to is not the right thing to listen to. What I'm looking at is not the right thing to look at. I'll sort all that out later. But today I know I'm not where I should be with you spiritually. Today I know there, there are other gods, there are other distractions, there's other things separating me from you. I don't want to live my life like this. And like Peter, maybe I've failed, maybe I've dropped the ball, maybe I've returned to some of my old ways. But I really am hungry for you. I really am thirsty for you. I'm not desperate yet, but I'm about to learn how to be desperate for you. Father, you're in this place today. You know our hearts, you know our mind, you know our words. You know the judgments we've made, the things that have been done to us by so-called Christians and by people that claim to walk in the light. Bad fruit, bad witness, bad testimony, distraction, disappointment, frustration. But I'm not going to let others or the influence or the input of others affect my relationship and my goals and my hope that I have in you. Like Peter, I can be obnoxious. Like Peter, I can be stubborn. Like Peter, I can be proud. But I want you to help me with all of that. I want to lay all that aside. And I want to reconnect with you today. I need to reconnect with you today. This is a season in this church where no one looks around. This is a season in this church where nobody comes to you or embarrasses you. This is between you and God, and you and God only. Say, Pastor, I'm not really where I need to be with the Lord. And today I got my map quest, and I got a different set of directions. And when I leave here, I'm going to turn right instead of turning left. When I leave here, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the highway, not the wilderness way. I'm going to pursue the things of God. I'm going to follow after God. And today is that day that I make this decision to get off this detour, turn around from this dead end, and find my way back to your way. That's my goal right now in Jesus' name. If that's your goal, just put your hand up, put it right back down. Between you and God, no one else.